Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Pete Frank, and I'm a missions representative for Gospel Inc. Ministries. I have a table display out in the floor. Your church uh, helps partner with the ministry of Gospel Inc. in different ways and, and has for many years. And so I just want to say thank you for that. I'm the one that gets to uh, be with you as a guest, to worship with you, and sing about God's mercy being greater than all of our sins. Isn't that a great truth to rejoice in this morning? And uh, I also get the privilege of sharing a message with you today from uh, God's Word. It's uh, going to be a kind of a missions-centered message. In fact, if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28, uh, that's where we'll be at the outset here this morning. I'm just so looking forward to um, sharing with you guys, and hopefully, uh, I hope that this is more than just like a missions presentation. Uh, I really want this to be a message uh, from God's Word by His Spirit to your hearts to encourage you today and, and perhaps convict you in some ways today and that God would be glorified through it all. So just to uh, introduce my family just real briefly uh, for you this morning, uh, show a picture on the, on the screen here. We live in Marion, Indiana, and my wife and I have, uh, have been married for uh, 34 years, and June 4th uh, will be that. We have Six children, I'm not going to take time on this, okay, I just have to hurry through this. If my wife was serious, she would want me to, you know, elaborate a little more on the family. Uh, suffice it to say, we have six children. The two on, on each end we adopted from Vietnam, that's Mackenzie. She is now 16 and a proud owner of a driver's permit. And that's Michaela, she's 18 and headed to uh, Liberty University uh, in the fall. And we adopted them from Vietnam. So we have six children. We have uh, five grandchildren, three daughter-in-laws, a son-in-law, and a real creepy doll named Susie on the back right of the picture. So don't, don't ask about Susie, okay? She somehow always sneaks her way in. Uh, my oldest son, Taylor, back there with her, he's quite the jokester. He's a pastor back in Indiana. He always puts Susie in the picture. It irritates my wife to pieces. So uh, she made it in my slideshow, actually. All right, well, I uh, have had the privilege of representing Gospel Inc. Ministries for the last uh, 15 years, and uh, the title of my message this morning is Reaching the Back Rows, and uh, let's have a word of prayer and ask God to continue to meet with us here this morning. Father, it's so good to be in your house. Uh, we thank you for the freedom that we have in this great nation to gather here without fear of persecution. Um, we thank you, Lord, for this body of believers here in Xenia and for what you're doing here at this church. Lord, we praise you that your mercies are new every morning. They're greater than our sin. And Lord, it's because of your compassions and mercies that we are not consumed, your word says, and we praise you for that. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I ask that you would use me in spite of me, speak through me, Lord, and and may you be honored, and may you give us the grace to do what you'd have us to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. C.S. Lewis once said what's on the screen. He said, a Christian's faith is always personal, but never private. When we come to Matthew 28, we're going to read three verses here at the end of this gospel, verses 18 to 20, which hopefully are very familiar to you. It's better known as the Great Commission found in Matthew and I just want to remind us this morning that, you know, this great commission of, as Mark 16, 15 says, proclaiming the gospel, the good news to all creation, 
making disciples of all nations. Uh, that's something that Christ Jesus really could have done completely on his own. And he doesn't really need you and he doesn't need me for much of anything, to be honest. You know? But his plan is to partner with us, disciples making other disciples, and that's a pretty cool plan from our perspective. Jesus said in Matthew 4:19, "Follow me." In other words, be my disciple and I will make you to become what? Amen, fishers of men. It's kind of an analogy he uses in that culture in that day, you know. So we're going to be catching men and women and children, we're going to be fishing for men. It's a euphemism for making disciples. And we know discipleship really begins with the good news of the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay for the sins of all those who will turn from their sin and put their faith in him. So Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And this is a great promise. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. I have three points I want to share with you this morning. If we can go on to point number one there. The priority of the Great Commission. The priority. This was Jesus' final command. In fact, over in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, just prior to his ascension, Jesus' final words were, But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. So this great commission found in all four Gospels and in Acts was his final command that he left with us and the very fact that that was his final command should alert us today, again, I know this is probably nothing new to anybody here this morning, but it's a reminder, we're to be reminded of these things. It's a reminder that God's great commission is what he's passionate about. Because the final words that a person utters on this earth will indicate that. For example, P.T. Barnum at Barnum and Bailey Circus his final words were, how were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Money, evidently, is what he was passionate about. Ticket sales. Man, that was his priority in life. Can you imagine your final words being that? When we see Jesus turn to his disciples and turn to you and me, because he says he'll be with them, with us, to the end of the age, so the implication, the application is for all of us. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Church, it's a reminder. We get a glimpse into the heart of God. What is he passionate about? What is his priority? And I trust it's what your church and what your passionate and priority is about. Getting the gospel, the good news with urgency to those who need it. Making disciples of all nations. Starting right here in Zeno, Ohio, or wherever you live in your own Jerusalem. Because the truth is, God wants his glory to be made known to the ends of the earth. God wants the gospel to go to every ear on the face of the earth. First Peter says that he is not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Pardon me, 2 Peter 3, 9. And that's applied to our neighbors right here in America, that none should perish, but also to those around the world in places like Cambodia. These people need to understand that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through him. These people in Vietnam, on the next slide, they need to know that Jesus said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Buddha will not save them. There's only one, only begotten Son of God, only one name under heaven. And Jesus said in John 4, verse 35, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Lift up your eyes. What is that implying? It's implying that your eyes and my eyes are often not on the fields, you know, that, that they're down. They need lifted up. They're on temporary things of this world. We need our eyes lifted up. And Lord, help us to live with a posture that our eyes are lifted up to what is your priority. And that's the souls of people. That we would have compassion to share the truth and love with them. You know, secular companies can be very passionate with this kind of passion about getting their product out to as many people as possible. For example, Coca-Cola, based in Atlanta, Georgia, many years ago, Coca-Cola had a very simple mission statement. It read, a can of Coke in the hand of everyone on the face of the earth by the year 2000. Now, that was many years ago. By the year 2000, that was their goal. A Coke in the hand of every person on the face of the earth. Have they been at least somewhat successful in completing their mission statement? They have. I mean, if you've traveled anywhere in the world, you know it's hard to go anywhere and not have access to a Coca-Cola. Fifteen years ago, I was on a plane going to Africa. I'd been to other countries, other continents, but it was my first time to Africa. And I'd been there a week or so, and I, I was uh, moved to the area of Mozambique, sub-Sahara uh, Africa, and Mozambique, one of the poorest countries in the world. I was there with another Gospel Inc. representative, Willie Hunter. And one of our objectives was to go out into the bush and preach the gospel to the local people and also meet with some prospective gospel native missionaries. And so Willie and I were riding in this van and we're riding along this dirt road. Uh, we started on a, you know, a regular road and then we went off the tarmac onto a dirt road and we're driving and driving. The road's getting smaller. We're going out into the bush and I turned around to Willie at one point. I said, Willie, the, the road is getting smaller. It's disappearing here, Willie, you know, and we were laughing, having a great time, and our van driver took us way out into the bush. About two hours out, Willie told me later, he said, Pete, I think that's the most remote place in Africa I've ever been to. And by the time we got to our destination, it was pitch dark. They stopped the van, got us out of the vehicle, and took us to our lodging for the next couple of nights, which was just a little mud hut with a thatched roof there in the bush of Mozambique, Africa. And we ducked and went into this little hut, and there was a candle burning there uh, to welcome us in this hut it was like motel six they left the light on for us and so willie and i we're sitting there enjoying the moment willie's a great guy i just saw him this week at the t4g conference in louisville he hasn't an, anyway he's a great guy has a great laugh so we're sitting there enjoying the moment in this little hut you know what they brought out and offered to us as a welcoming gift that night there in mozambique slide 
bottles of Coca-Cola. We laughed. I mean, we had no idea where we were. Bush of Africa. And there is Coca-Cola, true to their mission statement. I said, Willie, we got to get a picture of this. And we enjoy that warm Coca-Cola, by the way. But, uh, you know, if, I thought later, if a soft drink company could be so committed to a mission statement, man, how much more committed should I be as a follower of my Lord Jesus Christ with the urgency of the gospel, the priority of the Great Commission? Secondly, we have the people of the Great Commission. The people. Now look in verse 19 again. Jesus said, Go, therefore, and teach all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The word there, nations, it's a great study, and maybe you've studied this verse, but the word there in the original Greek language is ethne. We get the word ethnic from that word nations. And he's talking about people groups, I believe, if you study this, not just the 200 or so countries in the world, but all the ethne, the cultural people groups within each of those countries as defined by things like race, culture, language, etc. For example, in India alone, there are over 2,300 ethne, people groups within India. We adopted two girls from Vietnam. There are 54 different people groups within Vietnam. There are people groups all over the world within the nations. And Jesus is telling us this morning that the gospel is good news for all of them. Amen? For all of them, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And Proverbs 25 on the screen here, it's a great verse of encouragement. I want to encourage you this morning, not only is the gospel good news, but the fact that it is getting out to people in those people groups is great news as well. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. The good news is that the church is growing. How many of you like good news? I mean, we all like good news, right? But we don't get much good news today. There's a lot of bad news everywhere. Here's some good news. Jesus is building his church just like he said he would. That was a declarative statement that Jesus said when he said, I will build my church. The gates of hell and COVID are nothing else. Communism to COVID, nothing will stop the growth of the church. We're seeing that happen around the world today in many places, not just here in America, places like China. Voice of the Martyrs estimates there may be as many as 100 million believers today in communist China. That's good news. Pray for them because there's an uptick in persecution in China, among other places. Pray for the persecuted church. Amen. Hebrews 13 3. But the church is growing in China. Places like Mongolia. 25 years ago, remote nation of Mongolia. Has anyone ever been to Mongolia? I haven't. Okay. <laughs> The church is growing there. Four churches in the whole nation 25 years ago. Today, there's close to 1,000 churches, over 100,000 believers in Mongolia. Good news from a far country. What about Iran? I like this one. Iran has the fastest growing church on the face of the earth, proportionally. 
Remember in 19, late 1970s, how many of you remember the hostage crisis? I know this will date us older folks. <laughs> the young people are like, what? Unless you've studied it. But I remember that, the hostage crisis. 1979, the Ayatollah in Iran vowed to crush Christianity in Iran. 500 Christians were in the whole country. That's approximate what they estimated. He said, we're going to do away with Christianity. And God has been drawing Muslims by the thousands to himself over the years. Today, there's over one million believers in Iran. Books are being written about the growth of the church in Iran. Author Joel Richardson says, Iran has the fastest growing church on the face of the earth, 20% growth per year. See, the Ayatollah didn't understand that Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's good news from a far country. Amen, church. The two countries that I oversee for Gospel Inc. And our ministry that I represent is all about making disciples, planting churches, uh, targeting unreached people groups, ethne, in different countries around the world. But I oversee Vietnam and Cambodia as the Southeast Asian field director for Gospel Inc. All right, what about those two countries? Cambodia, one of the poorest countries in Asia. 1991, there was 2,000 Christians in the whole nation. Some 30 years later to today, there's over 300,000 Christians in Cambodia. Cambodia has one of the fastest growing churches on the face of the earth. What about Vietnam? Vietnam is a communist nation. Vietnam is one of those 1040 window countries, as is Cambodia, so one of the least reached countries with the gospel. In 1975, us older folks again, the South fell to the North at the end of the Vietnam War, and it all became one communist nation. Okay, at that time, there was about 160,000 Christians in the whole nation, 160,000. But in the midst of communism, that number has grown tenfold. Today, there's over 1.6 million believers in Vietnam. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's good news from a far country. Now, the bad news is, Vietnam has a population of over 90 million people. Much work to be done globally, not to mention here in America. I want to share with you some pictures that hopefully will be an encouragement to you. Pictures like this one of new churches in rural Vietnam. Pray for Vietnam. Pray for Vietnam. The church is growing, but the, the obstacles are real. This is... A uh, young child praying. Go ahead and go through the slides here, if you will, please. Young people are being saved like these precious kids. That picture always touches my heart. Isn't that sweet? This next picture is of an elderly lady named Mrs. Fung. I want to share her story with you for just a moment. Mrs. Fung was, is an 84-year-old devout Buddhist living in Vietnam. Uh, the man in the white there is a gospel preacher in Vietnam. Uh, one day, he and his outreach team went to Mrs. Fung's village to share the gospel. Starting, you know, telling people about the, the mercy of God, like we sang about, the name of Jesus, like we sang about. And they're going from house to house in her village, and they come to Mrs. Fung's house, the devout Buddhist. And all of her children and grandchildren live with her, which is common in that culture. And they began sharing the gospel with her and her family. Well, Mrs. Fung, the Buddhist, she understood what they were doing, she didn't want any part of it. So his report says that she began going around the house loudly saying, glory to Buddha, glory to Buddha, loudly, just trying to interrupt, you know, disrupt what they were doing. They just kept sharing Jesus with her family. 
When they were finished, all of her children and grandchildren repented of their sin, put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's good news from a far country, right? But they left Mrs. Fung's house that day with a burden for her. And so about two weeks later, after much prayer, they went back to Mrs. Fung's village. They went to her house first. And he says that she welcomed them warmly with a handshake. And they wondered, what is going on with Mrs. Fung? She said, I'm so glad you've come back. I've wanted to thank you for what you shared with my family members. They're like different people now. She said, they treat me with more love and respect than they ever have. That is the transforming power of the gospel, right? So they took the opportunity to share Christ with Mrs. Fung again. This time she listened intently, and when they were finished, she too bowed her head, bowed her heart, put her faith and the one true and living God and repented of her idolatry. As they were leaving her house, preparing to leave, she said, wait a minute, could you and your men take down all these Buddhist idols and wall hangings out of my home? And that's a sign of repentance. She wanted those things. And they said, we'd be glad to. Those things need to go. And there's a picture of those guys taking some of that Buddhist stuff out of her home. This time, Mrs. Fung was going around the house saying, thank you, God loudly saying, thank you, God, praise God, because now she's a worshiper of the one true and living God. Good news from a far country. This next picture is of a former Buddhist monk being baptized in a rice paddy. How would you like to be baptized in a rice paddy in Vietnam? You don't know what's in there, right? Next picture is of 23 new believers prepared for baptism in rural Vietnam. The next picture is of a gospel preacher in Vietnam who passed away a few years ago, but we were partnering with him in his church planting work there in Vietnam. His name was Dang Toy, and he, uh, prior conversion days, before he became a Christian, he worked for the police department in Vietnam. He would arrest Christians, put them in prison, and confiscate their Bibles. He would take those Bibles home with him. What do you think he began doing with the Bible? He began reading it. And I couldn't wait to get back to Vietnam when I heard about his testimony because I asked him through our translator, I said, Pastor, why did you begin reading the Bible? Here's an atheistic police officer, a communist who's arresting believers. Why did you start reading this book? And he looked at me and he said, because of the courage that I saw in the people that I was arresting. He said, I had to find out what do these people believe? What makes them so courageous in the face of persecution and even imprisonment? That's a great testimony of our brothers and sisters just standing strong in their faith halfway around the world. That impacted his life, and he began searching the scriptures. What does this book teach? Eventually, he was exposed to the gospel. God's word is sufficient to convert a soul, and his soul was converted, and he was trained to begin preaching the gospel and baptizing new believers like this lady in the next picture who was baptized in a barrel. I think I'd take the rice paddy over the barrel. I don't know. Good news from a far country. This next picture is of Hmong tribal people in Vietnam, one of those ethnic groups that's really, the gospel is really growing in Vietnam. And so good news. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you. Now we have to get to some bad news this morning. 
The bad news is that there are nearly 3 billion people in the world today that have yet to hear the gospel for the first time. Us missionaries, we tend to spew out statistics, right? That's our spiritual gift, you know. That <laughs> we just, you know, throw out all these numbers. You're supposed to absorb them all and comprehend. But 3 billion, how do you get your mind wrapped around that? I want to put a face to that statistic. This is a 12-year-old little girl that our missions team encountered. This was a few years ago in rural Vietnam. We were driving from Saigon to the Cambodian border. A couple hours into the trip, we pull over for a, a little uh, restroom break, you know, pit stop, and there's a little coffee shack there. Rural Vietnam, this little 12-year-old girl kind of meanders out cautiously uh, looking at our group uh, who's tall, you know, and most of us very white-skinned or bald-headed, you know, and very different from her, and so she's checking us out, and uh, Amy, one of our translators, went over to her and got down on one knee and tried to draw her out a little bit and converse with her. I remember Amy turning to me and she said, Pete, this little girl has never heard the name of Jesus. Not has never heard the gospel clearly, but has no idea who Jesus is. And for about the next 20 minutes or so, Amy just as concisely and clearly as she could, she shared the gospel and that little girl heard about Jesus that day. You know, we're blessed to live in America. That's a good place for an amen. We're blessed to live in America. God has blessed us in so many ways. We have access to the gospel. We have financial blessings. We have freedom. We have medicines, hospitals. I could share. I've got a whole list here. You have your own list too. God has just so blessed us. Listen, do you know if you make, make $25,000 a year, you make more than 90% of the world's population. If you make $50,000 a year, you make more than 99% of the world's population. Nearly half of the world lives on less than $2 per day. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it tells us basically that God is sovereign over demographics. In other words, that God has put us here in this place at this time and has blessed us providentially. It's not by chance that we have all that we have in America. I like to illustrate it this way. I'm going to come down here on the floor level. In John chapter 6, is the account of the feeding of the 5,000. If you remember that story, Jesus had the people sit in an orderly fashion, and the disciples came with their baskets, and Jesus filled them with fish and loaves. And let's imagine it happened this way, because this is kind of how I liken it to how it is in the world today. Let's imagine this scenario. The disciples get the food, the fish and loaves, and they begin to distribute down the rows. Let's say, I gotta go back a ways on this side. Let's, all right, they go down row one, distributing the fish and loaves. Down row two, let's imagine their baskets run out. They go back to Jesus, the Lord of all creation. This was an incredible miracle he did. And he fills their baskets with fish and loaves again. Okay, so they go to distribute, but they don't go to row three. Let's say they go back down row one. All right, you guys want seconds? Okay, yeah, seconds? No, nah, okay, thank you. <laughs> their baskets run out. Jesus fills them again. Lo and behold, they don't go to row three, sorry. They're going to go back down row one, front rows only, okay? If you were sitting in the back row, and that's how it was taking place, what would you do? 
What's that? Move to the front. Good answer. You would at least stand up and say, hey, Jesus, we're hungry too. Why don't your men pass some of that bread back to us? In fact, we're starving. They would have real urgency about it. That's kind of how I liken it to how it is in the world, kind of a simple, silly illustration. But I don't know why God has put me on the front rows here in America. And, you know, the bread and fish just keeps coming by, physically, financially, spiritually, in all ways. We have so much. It's just easy to forget, kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, there's people on the back rows. Three billion. David Platt says, Joshua Project says, 3.2 billion, and the number's growing of people that have never had the bread of life, the gospel, passed back to them. So, what's the solution? How do we make Jesus known? Well, you know, there are missionaries going to the unreached so that they can hear about Jesus. Go to the next slide, please. But did you know, here's another statistic. This just blows me away. Of every 30 missionaries that goes from the West cross-culturally, only one goes to the unreached. Of every dollar given to missions in the church in America, approximately one cent goes to reach the unreached. So gospel link, our strategy, our burden, our vision is to help get the gospel to people like the little girl that I showed you. And doing that through the model of working through native missionaries. So a native missionary is simply someone who's serving in their home country. For example, a, a Gospel Link preacher who is sponsored by Gospel Link, trained by Gospel Link, working in Cambodia, where was he born and raised? Cambodia, okay? He's reaching his own people with the gospel. We're still behind sending U.S. missionaries to the field. There's a need for that, but this model works well where there's good training, good accountability. It really is, it, it reveals the success of the Western missions movement. So I think most of you or all of you hopefully got a brochure when you came in. Um, if you would take that out just briefly, and I'm going to give you a quick flyover of what Gospel Inc. doing to help reach those people in the back rows with the good news of the gospel. And I would like to ask you, would you consider partnering with a native missionary? What does that look like? Well, let me say this. This is not intended to compete in any way with the giving to your local church here, the missionaries, the ministries you already have established here. That's first and foremost. But it doesn't take a lot of U.S. dollar to link to the church in third world countries to leverage the gospel very effectively, very efficiently. What does our model look like? Go to the next slide, please. Thank you for all your help back there, guys. Gospel Inc. is currently partnering with close to 1,200 native missionaries in 15 different third world nations. I oversee Cambodia and Vietnam. All of these native missionaries, we seek to raise $200 per month in support for their church planting efforts as native missionaries. You say, well, I can't give $200 a month. We understand that. So you can give as little as $25 a month as the Lord leads to help make up that $200 a month. So some Native missionaries may have one sponsor that can give the whole amount or as many as eight to give 25 a month, if that makes sense to you. You can see on the screen what that, that fully sponsors them and what that provides for them. In short, at the bottom there, I like the term gospel leverage. It leverages church planting work within their own nation. 
Next slide, please. That's about 5% of what it costs to send a traditional foreign missionary overseas. This list gives you some ideas who can sponsor a native missionary. Most of our sponsors, honestly, are families and individuals that do that. Okay, next slide. Real quickly, five advantages of working through native missionaries. One is the citizenship advantage. All right, so this is the indigenous model of doing missions. National preachers, native missionaries, they are citizens of their home country. Means they don't have to get a passport, they don't have to renew their visas. The next picture is a picture of our national director for Gospel Inc. in Cambodia, Simeon, his wife Sharon, their two daughters. They've adopted a little boy since this picture. The next picture is of him preaching at a, a VBS, if you will, in rural Cambodia. The cows are listening intently, as you can see. Uh, but he is a citizen there. That's a big advantage. You know, my hat goes off to U.S. missionaries. We know many of them that have uprooted, gone overseas, go through visa issues and whatnot. And I just really admire their commitment to God's call. But the second advantage to working through native missionaries is the cultural advantage. Real quickly, let me ask you, how many of you have been to a foreign country? Would you raise your hand? A lot of you, many, okay. I like to hear where people have been. We have to do this quickly, but if you wanna say out loud countries you've been to, I'm always interested to hear, so go ahead. Mexico, China, Costa Rica, Haiti, Africa, probably many countries there. Nepal? Where else? Germany, Russia, France, Croatia. Okay, I'm sorry if I didn't hear everybody. Okay, God bless. That's, go ahead. Kosovo. That's a lot of diversity. It's always interesting to hear where people have been. By the way, Kentucky's not a foreign country, so. If you're from Kentucky, take that as a compliment. You go to these places, things are very different. I've got like five or six pictures here, and, and you know this if you've been to a third world country. Housing is different. Showers are different. And when you're tall like me and you take a shower there behind that curtain and people walk by, it's really awkward. But next picture. Insects are different. This is a live scorpion in Vietnam. Modes of transportation are different. If you can imagine one of these going down the streets of Xenia. Wildlife in front of your hotel on the street in India is very different than wildlife in front of the hotels here in America. Food is very different, like this dish that was served to my son Tran me on a missions trip in Vietnam years ago. Next picture shows Trey's response to that food. That's culture shock, okay? But seriously, native missionaries, they were raised in that culture. They eat that food. They like that food. Next slide, they also speak the language. They have a time advantage and a distinct economic advantage. The next picture shows uh, some of our native missionaries in Zambia. This picture is a little outdated, but it's at our university in Zambia, Bible college there near Lusaka. All these men have sponsors who pray for them and link some of their resources to help support them. I'm the one in the back on the right there, if you couldn't tell. The big picture is that, as I said, Gospel Inc. is currently partnering with close to 1,200 native missionaries. We seek to really target the unreached people. Next slide. Those are the countries that we work in. Uh, one cool thing about this model of missions is that every three months, 
sponsors here in America, uh, next slide, receive a quarterly report from their native missionary, occasional photos, so you can be uh, you know, in the know, updated on their ministry, family, how to pray for them, special needs they might have, and so forth. And also sponsors in America can correspond with the native missionary that they are supporting uh, through letters, pictures, and cards. So no, no pressure here. I tell you, though, I'm on, I've got uh, about nine of these native missionaries on my table out there in the Ford area. And uh, you come by the table, I'll be glad to answer questions, help you pick out the one that you would like to begin supporting and praying for. Um, be glad to talk to you out there. So I want to close with a, with a story here from Vietnam. Uh, this is a picture of uh, Mang Nia is his name, and uh, that's his wife and children. That's a new motorbike that was provided by a donor in America. It's a very valuable tool there in Vietnam for sure. Uh, I just want to read to you a brief excerpt from one of his outreach reports, and then I'll pray and be finished. He says this, One day as I was traveling home from my son's school, I saw a man lying on the sidewalk with his hand in the air as if he needed something. So here's the scene, church. You have a busy street in Vietnam, Mang Nia is driving his motorbike home. There's a sidewalk there along the road. There's a man sitting there. He's got his hand up. Like, you know, I'm in need. Help me, somebody. And people are just going by. It's kind of like the Good Samaritan story in Scripture. And Mang Nia says, I stopped my motorbike and bought a bowl of rice soup for him. The man was very sad and was surprised that I stopped. I took him home. It was about to his home it was about three kilometers away and upon arriving all of his relatives left the house immediately we'll find out in a minute why that happened I found an old mat I laid it out for the man to lay on and then I told the man about Christ's love for him and shared the gospel before leaving I gave the man my address well three days later the, the man came to the preacher's house to thank him and the man said this this was the man laying on the sidewalk. He says, When I went to Balak to work at a coffee plantation, my wife left me for another man and took my two children. I was very sad and turned to alcohol. When I would get drunk, I would verbally abuse my relatives, even my parents. That's why everybody fled the house that day. They didn't want to be around their own son. My life has been eaten up with bitterness. But when you gave me the soup, I was encouraged by your kindness, and I wished I were you, he says. So I would like to receive the Lord and become a member of your church. If you can go to the next slide. The man's name there in the picture is Bobo Hong. That's him right there. That's the man that was laying on the sidewalk. That's the preacher, and that's Bobo's parents. Bobo got saved that day. Amen? Good news from a far country. But the story doesn't end there. Three weeks later, this is the picture, Bobo's parents invited me back to their home. They welcomed me in and wanted to know what kind of soup I fed to their son. <laughs> because his life had been changed since he ate the soup, the transforming power of the gospel. He had given up alcohol and was no longer verbally abusive. The preacher says, I explained the gospel to them, told them it wasn't the soup, it was the power of Jesus Christ Hallelujah, his parents and five siblings confess their sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. He and his family live in the Song Kandong district. Amen. 
good news from a far country. We don't know how God might use a simple act of compassion. Magnia pulls his motorbike over. He didn't get his Bible out and preach a five-point message. I mean, he could have, I guess, right? He just took a little time out of his day. That's a message to me. A Christian in a third-world country once said, Christians in America have watches, but they don't have time. If we're going to be witnesses for Christ, we need to take time with people. Magnia buys a bowl of soup, shows kindness and the love of Christ, and God translates that little action into the salvation of an entire family. Little as much when God's in it. I'll be at my table following the service. Thank you again for your church's partnership as a church with Gospel Link. I know your church very faithfully, fully, nearly fully supports one of our native missionaries in Cambodia. If you would like to help out as a family, please stop by the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your mercy is greater, as we sang, greater than all of our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin. Lord, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We love you today. We praise you for the gospel. The gospel, salvation, is something the angels desire to look into. And yet so often we take it for granted. May it not be so, Lord. May we love you more each day. May we be on mission with this great gospel message to those around us right here in our Jerusalem of Ohio. Lord, I pray that you would bless this church. It's been a blessing to me to be here today, and I just pray that these folks will continue to be witnesses and shine, Lord, as great lights for you in a dark world. And for all that you're going to do here, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.